Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's right. Where, where's the, where's, how come it doesn't have to clear with me? How come it doesn't have to ask me, Tommy, is it okay if we prompt your get? I'm paying for Zoom. I don't use free Zoom. I use that big dick money Zoom. It's like 10 bucks a month, but hey, I think Zoom should be asking me questions. <laughs> Fucking ungrateful shitbags. Um, full screen. Presumably because you're the one who initiated the encounter. Don't get an attitude whatever. with me, Roger. I'll mail you. I know. You're, you'll, you'll fight me, I'll right? Fight, I'll fight you. I've had people start saying that to me more, and they understand that it's a it's a sign of love. They'll be like, Tommy, I'll fight you. And I'll be like, here you go. Um, fuck, what was I saying? We were saying something about, yeah, formatting different shit with Zoom. Trying. So I didn't know this. So yesterday, I, as I tried my first like beta test of it, and it didn't work, so I didn't upload it. But it's, um, it's using my image for the video and then superimposing the zoom image in the top right corner the files the file lengths for the same video are different and it's not like well because you start recording and a couple seconds later you start recording the other it's not like something negligible like that even if you line up the beginning so i did like three two one and then i like lined it up at the beginning and i spliced off the first bit of the video they don't progress at the same speed i think zoom compresses it a little bit so you actually so an hour-long conversation between us it actually plays back as like a 58 minute conversation so they speed it up a little bit which is kind of weird well i noticed that uh when we had what seemed to be network difficulties you know in the when the video would skip uh apparently the software tries to compensate for that yeah by uh by then speeding up so that it catches up yeah which was one of the ones we did, it was like really noticeable. Kept oh yeah, doing that. yeah. No, I I get that. Skype does that as well. FaceTime does it as well. Where if there's a lag, it will try to speed it and get you up to. I get that. That's different. The whole video yeah. itself, like if I started a conversation and then, like even right now, if we just played this back, it would you'd slowly see them start to drift apart where the words oh. aren't. It's weird, and I saw. Well, then I was like, well, which one is the correct one? And I think the quick <laughs> is any of them correct? Yeah, now it's like, it's well, it's kind of like the the science of measurement, right? Like those things you talked about. It was like, well, which one is like, so finally I realized the screen. Rec- so now I'm doing three videos actually. I'm recording with Zoom, and then on a different webcam and different microphone, I'm recording with QuickTime Player, an actual movie. And then I'm also screen recording the whole shebang. And God bless you, MacBook. She's a. This is the hardest. Today's the only. I just did it with Dale, and I'm doing it with you right now. It's the only time I've ever done a three, three simultaneous recording, three simultaneity yeah. recording. You got a bucket of water there, and I got catches fun. on fire. I got I got my cooling system down. You got your fire extinguisher. I did. You showed it to me. I do. I do. I have the fire extinguisher. God willing, we don't have to use that, but. <laughs> Should be getting a new computer coming. Oh, you'd also be interested to know. Um, got a professional camera coming. I got the lens today in the mail. 
and uh, like an actual DSLR, like it's like a thousand dollar lens, and then I think a thousand dollar camera. So there's the MacBook Pro webcam, which is eh. there's the there's the good webcam I started using around Christmas that was like two hundred bucks. We just bumped up to some professional like 4K, like depth of field shit. Like it's gonna, it's just slowly tweaking it up. Just get a little better, just a little better. And um, but enough of all that worthless rambling. Roger Williams, author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. Go buy the fucking book, or you will be tried as a terrorist and waterboarded to death in Guantanamo. That is a threat, and. Roger is, I can't help but notice. Roger, where did you get that shirt? That looks stunning. Oh, some Spotify shop. Yeah, some, Shopify. Some, some Roger, get it right. Yeah. Shopify shop. Spot- Shopify. Oh, Shopify, sorry. buy a Spotify yes. podcaster. Yeah. Read the script, Roger. Like Read that. the script. <laughs> Call to action. Flip the page. Yeah. Tommy yeah, said. <laughs> I was taking I was taking a nap. You know, yeah. nothing says I'm 57 years old like I was taking a nap on the Sunday afternoon. That's, uh, but no, this is a this is the DNA Vinci shirt uh, that you designed, of course, and it is another really nice shirt, like the Area 51 shirt for spotlighting the infusion process by which these are printed because it has a lot of very fine line work and all, and it's very sharp. Uh, it, 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 it really pops uh, and it doesn't really show that well at, at least on my screen on the video but uh, in person uh, it, it's very uh, different from what you normally see in a printed shirt because you you normally don't have that that fine resolution for like super fine line work and all and it really shows in in this print and the area 51 print uh, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very pleased. It's yeah. it's it's really cool. I've uh, wore it over to Chili's this morning and met a friend there, had lunch. So, uh, how do you like the design? It's it's cool. I mean, it it's weird. it really it really is. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's uh, and and the thing is, like a lot of people wouldn't have done uh, any something quite this intricate because they would be thinking about the limitations of the print process if you're doing silk screen um yeah by by comparison the uh the other shirt that i got which was uh fractal pharaoh but it was the more expensive ironically the more expensive shirt but i think it was silk screen yeah uh but uh but it was also more of an athletic shirt it had all the holes in the fabric yeah. so that your skin could breathe and it was antimicrobial and i think it was meant to be something you would wear while you were working out yeah it was form fitting whereas this is you know the same this is also a large but it's not like trying to be yeah you know, yeah uh, form fitting and uh so this is just a nice t-shirt and uh you normally don't see printing this fine unless it's some uh, a repeating pattern or something that can be drum printed. You don't you don't see it on shirts that are custom. I don't I don't know about the back has the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the full on Da Vinci right in the center. Right. So uh, so no, this is a really cool design. Uh, and uh, that much more to say except that uh, cool shirt, man. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, it's that you. That's a good observation. Which I didn't even think about. Yeah, you normally wouldn't design something that intricate if you were doing it for clothes. And yeah, because yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't come out that good. It would the yeah. the, the lines would be fatter and yeah. they would be blurred a bit and all. Uh, and and I think the now Fractal Pharaoh doesn't have quite as much of that, so it probably looks okay. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in the in the screen print because I think that shirt was screen printed because you can feel uh, one of the things Jamie our our marketing girl said in a, on a screen printed shirt you can feel the design yeah yeah you can you can yeah. because the, the ink is kind of sitting on top of the fabric and you can on that one whereas on these that are infusion printed you can't feel the ink sitting yeah. on top the the ink has been forced into the fabric yeah uh it's it's just a, a different higher quality process and it's more about just uh looking good i guess yeah and of yeah. course like like the other like uh, all like both of those shirts of course this was printed as panels and then assembled presumably here in the united states or someplace rather close because they got it to me in less than a week so uh they are there's there's a there's there i think we have a bit of a delay um there is there's it is there is fan, yeah and that's the thing is i designed them originally as like wallpapers for like imax and then i wanted to make them for snowboards because it was why did i make them that big because i was like oh snowboards are huge canvases that there is detailed printing on and so i made them with that in mind and originally the first time i made one I just wanted to see how poorly it would come out. That's why I didn't even make it as like a merch item. I just ordered a design on a hoodie. And I was like, I just want to see how it comes out. And I was like, yeah, that's not half bad. So I started uploading other items and now it's kind of spiraled into the merch store. But like this one, this one is, it's a Wilson cloud chamber. It's like an image, like a high res image from like the twenties. I took that and then I use the image, and I actually have two Wilson Cloud cha- Chamber shirts. There's another one that I've worn, which is actually, if you look closely, it's just a, a close-up of one of these things. This one, I took it, and it's all—it's like the tra- it's the paths of the particles. And what I did is I took it, and I kind of zoomed out, and I just started mirroring them because I wanted to see if it made a, yeah. made a pattern. And so this is the one that I think... I don't know if it's still named it, but I called it Quantum Cathedral because it's it is a it's okay. a it's an illustration of of I guess quantum movements. But also, it kind of made me think when you look at it, it kind of looks like you know you look up at the you know the ceiling of the church or something. And I thought like yeah yeah it's I recall I recall seeing that design in your shop yeah so, and yeah. it's like but yeah this one and then because the Wilson Cloud Chamber images were were like black and whites so you'd have to look it up I can't explain it it, it takes too much time just look at Wilson Cloud Chamber. Mm-hmm. But because no, I, I know, yeah, I know you know, I know you for the listener, <laughs> but for the listener is like, but it's not perfectly black and white. It's kind of like an off tint, which means that if you reverse or inverse it where you get like a negative of it, it's not if it's perfectly black and white, the negative will be perfectly white and black. But if it's ever so slightly off, it starts to like kind of drift to different colors. And so what I did is I took an inverse of it and then I took uh, a close-up of one of da Vinci's uh, uh, notes, I think from the same page that he did Vitruvian Man, and I blew up that image, and then I inversed it onto the Wilson Cloud Chamber. Inversing it is like it's basically like dividing by color. Like I could take a picture of this flag, and if I if I just took a negative, you mean you can imagine, right? The white would be black. You know, this would probably be like some weird kind of neon. You know what I'm talking about? If I yeah. if I divided it by like yellow you get a much different color versus if you divided it by purple you get all these weird things but you overlay it and you take the difference that's what the the tool is called it's called difference and so i took the difference of a of a wilson cloud chamber 
from a Da Vinci notebook because I just thought like that's such like a unique that's not a color it's like was it yellow it's no it's Da Vinci that, that would be the name of the color swab would be Da Vinci it's so yeah. this is a Wilson cloud chamber divided by Da Vinci yeah of that that's the exact parchment I used and uh that's what this is but I don't really explain that to people because it's a long explanation so I'm just like fuck it it's wacky buy it and uh yeah that's yeah uh, it's cool yeah it's, it's cool it? buy it you buy don't... the merch stop asking questions <laughs> god damn it and uh but yeah, so um, did you see that thing? I I sent you a link the other day about uh of uh this like the, is I was looking into like water cooled PCs, and there's this guy, this Bitcoin miner, who has all these oh yeah the, the, it's the, the submerged the, in oil, and the yeah and the entire thing is in a freezer, and so he can yeah, over overclock yeah. yeah the overclockers have been doing that for years yeah it's yeah but uh yeah the of course the the favorite one is is they they and it only works for an hour or two is the is the ones where they immerse it in liquid nitrogen yeah and they can they can make a yeah they can take a normal pc that maxes out at two gigahertz and run it at six gigahertz and and without melting it and all but the problem is you can't circulate the coolant and it doesn't uh yeah, there, there, there's all kinds of other little problems with doing that. So you can make that work for like 45 minutes or something and, and have this stupidly high frame rate on your video game yeah. or whatever. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's more of a gimmick than something useful. Yeah. Because it would be stupidly expensive if you tried to do that like all the time. Yeah, there's nothing beneficial to that. Whereas like the Bitcoin miner guy, he immersed it in mineral oil which yeah. doesn't conduct electricity, so you can actually just dump it on the components. But he's been running those graphics cards for something like 800 straight days at their maximum yeah. overclock, but he's and, using and it to you, make money with Bitcoin. Yeah, and, and, you, and, and the thing is, you can do that, and uh, mineral oil both doesn't conduct electricity and conducts heat very well, yeah. and you can circulate it through a radiator uh, without all kinds of technical the whole thing problems. In, he has the whole thing in, a, like a, in like a, a chest freezer. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, you can run Freon coils through it to cool it using an external cooling source. And uh, what some of the guys have done, it's like one of the early guys who did the liquid nitrogen thing tried using a, a, a mediating oil like that and didn't realize that the, uh, the stupidly expensive mediating oil freezes at higher than the temperature of liquid nitrogen. Uh, you just didn't think of that. Yeah. And so after a few minutes, the whole thing turned into a, block of jello um but uh yeah i mean it's like yeah the, the hardcore uh overclockers have been doing stuff like yeah. that for a while that was an extremely practical example so i had mm -hmm. to say that uh most of what you see is more gimmicky yeah uh, it's it's fascinating as sort of like um like i look at it because it's fascinating as to Every once in a while, I'll do like the longest podcast. Why? Just to see, you know, it's a lot of it's just, it's not practical. It's not something you're going to sell in art. That Bitcoin guy actually is using it to make money. I emailed him. I'm trying to get him on. He hasn't responded. Yeah. Yet, well, but. and the thing is that, that 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 Bitcoin farm would probably take an entire room if it was being cooled normally. Well, yeah. And yeah. uh, he's he's got that crammed into an ice chest, so uh, he's still got to put the heat somewhere. Yeah. But because it's being cooled that way, you can do that very efficiently. Yeah. As, well, uh, you know. he has it in a in a subterranean uh, uh, like cement room, and I think he had it like <laughs> below the permafrost line. 
So it probably is. He's probably, oh, that helps. Yeah. So he's probably he's <laughs> yeah use the use the earth as a heat sink. He's, but it's very it's just interesting, which makes you gotta think. So he does it because he can make money on it. Other people will do it for it's a gimmick, but you gotta think. Yeah. You know, what about those? What about that sort of beautiful sort of uh, loophole where? If you're working for DARPA or the Department of Defense, you, it doesn't need to be practical and it doesn't need to make money. It's just fucking national security. You got to imagine there's got to be some NSA computer somewhere that they're probably those mad scientists. They're probably cooling it with liquid nitrogen. It doesn't need to be profitable. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Do you think that's probably happening somewhere? Oh, of course. That, that that's one of the things that the uh, well and also you know I saw an article on the on off a of slash dot uh, this morning in fact that uh, they're starting to realize that modern uh, CPUs are not entirely reliable that they uh, they've they've made the features so small that uh, after they test good and leave the plant then. Uh, natural deterioration or mm. quantum effects come in and they can occasionally throw uh, software errors. And sometimes that just causes a crash, which is, it, you, at least that's an understandable. But they say also sometimes it actually causes mistaken calculations and they've caught that. Oh. Uh, and uh, one of the commenters pointed out that mainframe computers used to be built, you know, of course, they were at the cutting edge of technology for their day, and it was known that the the tech was not perfect. So they had all kinds of error detection uh, stuff built into them. And even the very first IBM PCs, the 5150 back in the 1980s, uh, they had a parity bit on the, the memory. So for every eight bits of memory, they had a ninth bit of, of RAM, and they would set that so that there was always either an even or an odd number of bits, whatever the the parity system was was meant to have and there would be automatic circuitry that if it detected a byte coming out of ram with the wrong parity bit it would reset the computer it would be the same right this is wrong this is this is bad and mainframe computers used to do that and in the early 90s they stopped doing that because it costs money mm -hmm. and it means you know the the priority started to be performance and cost rather than reliability. And remember, the original IBM PCs were made by IBM, which at the time made mainframe computers. And so that was a priority for them, making sure that the machine would never return an erroneous result. And I think it was in the early 90s that Intel made the Pentiums that had the, the math error in the, in the floating point processor. And they were just like, eh, fuck it. And it was like, what? <laughs> this is, you, but, but yeah, computers are physical devices that actually, they're made of matter. Yeah. And, and the features have gotten so small on microprocessors that they're subject to quantum effects like quantum tunneling. Uh, and so electrons can end up where they're not supposed to be. <laughs> and this is something that can happen like at random. Me, me, and, my, <laughs> me and my friend Matt. We're joking that we're because he got a brand new gaming PC and we were fucking with it. It's water cooled. It's crazy. And we were like this and it's it's got one of those super wide monitors, the Samsung's, the forty nine inch sort of like and we were looking curved. Yeah, we were looking at it. <laughs> and we were looking at the machine running and it, it made us think of what you just said about quantum tunneling, but like Oppenheimer. 
right? When they're looking at the, not the I am destroyer, everyone knows that quote, but the other one is, we are tampering with powers heretofore reserved for the almighty. <laughs> and we, we were looking at this and we were like, is this a modern day Tower of Babel? Are we, are we, are we spitting in the face of God? Are we going to be struck down? Yeah. It's like, here's like, this 49 inch wide, like liquid cooled. And we are like, this is, we're approaching blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're going to really like where uh, where the curators ends up going then because it's it actually goes in that direction. Roger uh, Williams with the sly plug. Not really. We're going to do that today anyway. But <laughs> it's smooth. Yeah. Right so uh, yeah. So anyway, my plan uh, for the reading for today is to read five episodes, which should total about ten thousand words. It should be about the same length as one of the first four passages stories, which each took about an hour mm -hmm. and that will bring us to a place in the story where something dramatic happens that sets the stage for the next major story arc fuck that yeah. we can do on the next reading fuck yeah well fuck so, it let's uh do you want to just jump right into it yeah no, that works for me sure let's I do mean, it. Uh, and uh as, as always my windows then. as always with the readings just keep reading if i because i will be getting up and using the restroom just keep doing the readings and um <laughs> yeah it's uh Fuck yeah, let's get to it. Okay, uh, so this is the curator's part five. And I'm uh, having a little trouble seeing this. You're good, man. Let's see. I may have to do, I said I took a nap. You know, I was, I was thinking, it was Prime Intellect, right, where they used the, uh, what was the phenomena where they, they uses to displace heat? Uh, the correlation effect. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it would melt it in like less than a second. Yeah, the uh, the correlation effect started out as being well. You have quantum tunneling is the phenomenon that allows an electron to cease existing on one side of an side of an insulating barrier and find itself existing on the other side of that insulating barrier without crossing the space in between. And this is a thing that happens in quantum materials all the time. And so in the curators and similar stories, we just have this same effect, which relativity permits, okay, only happening at macroscopic scales instead of the quantum domain. Um, but uh, the correlation effect, uh, it was first noticed that uh, Zener di uh, Zener, uh, tunnel diodes with the same geometry can affect one another across space, macroscopic space. Uh, and no one knows why at first. And in fact, no one really ever does figure out why until prime intellect comes along and solves it. Quantum um, physics is kind of like the writers of the show, the universe. You can tell they got high on the last night. They wrote a very good, yeah. well-resourced, The like you said, the edges were tucked in, the story, the plot holes were filled, had a good foundation. And on the last night before they submitted the story, they got really high and came up with quantum physics and it just throws the whole thing for a loop. Well, I've, I've, I've told a couple of people that, uh, the, the funny thing is quantum physics is completely self-consistent mm -hmm. and it actually works. Um, and, uh, classical physics is completely self-consistent and it works. Uh, but the two are completely inconsistent with each other and making, quantum and classical physics 
work together in the same universe without invoking fairies and pixies and shit is like the holy grail of modern physics because you've got these two systems each of which works perfectly in its domain but explaining how the same universe has both of these things going on that has not been solved it's like playing a game with a friend cross-platform playstation and xbox it's like well how the they both work fine how do we get them on the same screen yeah well and the thing is you know the the big one of the big mysteries is what causes the state vector to collapse and you know so so you have a quantum system that's maintaining coherence and doing quantum shit and at some point uh it decides well i'm not quantum anymore i can't be quantum anymore so it has to you know, instead of being all of these states at the same time, it has to pick one, mm-hmm. and it does so at random, and then it's classical. And no one has any idea why why what causes that. It is literally not you know explaining the collapse of the state vector without it without without invoking fairies and elves is like one of the holy grails of modern physics. No one has any idea exactly what causes it. Now, my personal my personal uh when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, idea is that it's the information processing cost. The very thing that would make quantum computers work if you built a quantum computer is that the universe is willing to do the math for you. And my theory there is the universe is only willing to do so much math before it throws its hands in the air and says, fuck this. Yeah. It's, yeah, <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's before it. Yeah, right. It's It's almost... Isn't it like a like a like a system can't a system? But can't. that's but that strongly implies that the entire universe is actually a simulation. Well, no, but I think you said this before. It was a quote from someone else. But it's a system can't understand a system meta to it. It's like if the brain to understand how complex the human brain is, your brain would have to become more complex and powerful to under. You know, a supercomputer can break down my MacBook and explain it. An identical MacBook wouldn't be able to explain the MacBook because the very knowledge yeah. needed to explain it would no, would mean it has surpassed MacBook hood, if you will. There, there's a, there, there is a, 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 a there are ways to compress things so that you can have a sense of knowledge in the general of of how something more complex than yourself might work. But not 100%. But again, you. You wouldn't be able to simulate it. You know, you wouldn't be able to uh, like fully understand all of its behaviors. You, you might be able to say, I understand why it has this general tendencies to do stuff. Which but, begs yeah, the question then, could the universe ever be figured out because it would have to get more complex? And then to figure that out, it would have to get more complex. And 
and and you're getting into some fairly deep philosophy. <laughs> that's that's when you get to the whole like fuck it. Can you you know can the flashlight illuminate itself? Can your teeth bite themselves? Can the knife cut itself? <laughs> then you get into Alan. You leave physics and you get into Alan Watts and you get into yeah. You know, if, uh, if you get into smoking a pipe, looking ah, like Gandalf. Um, another no, thing. Like, yep. And I've been bitching about it lately. I have no idea why. I've had like terrible indigestion the last couple episodes. So you can hear my stomach like grumbling and rumbling. And I don't know what the fuck it's from. I think I should need to go get some Tums. So that's another thing. If you hear me like burping and coughing, just disregard it. Keep reading. All right. Yeah, I got to take uh, antacids and uh, I'm on anadine or something like that. I it's, need to go on yeah, something, man. So. It's, it's terrible. The last couple, it's just been. And I feel fine. Like I'm not. I'm sleeping well. Not stressed. No ulcers. Happy yeah. as a clam. Just, it's just fuck it. You're old now. You're thirty. Downhill, buddy. <laughs> you're downhill. It's a slow it's roll, the, but you're rolling. The, yeah. It's it's. You're not accelerating down yet. You're at, you're at the top of that hill, and it's like, yeah. It's, let me, I, it's I, begun. Let me wave at you from the bottom of the. <laughs> it's it's. I'm not down there yet, but the reality is, is, you are over the hump. You have now been drinking to get rid of the hangover, meaning you are on, mm-hmm. you are on a, uh, the point of no return. There is no, yeah. you have to keep. You got to take out a loan to pay the loan. Yeah. It's and of course I'm looking. At it's like so. So I realize it's like the uh, the reading glasses make it much easier for me to see the print, but they also have the reflection of the screen in my eyes. Dude, it doesn't matter. I think the first hundred episodes, I never realized that I was wearing my glasses in every episode, and I realized I was like, oh man, the guest just sees me with glowing eyes, and I'm like, tell me about yourself, and they're like, who the fuck is this kid above his parents' garage? And I'm like. I'm like, the Nazis are on the moon. Silicon Jesus is coming. And it's like, I really should have watched myself. I can't be associated with this guy. Joke's on you. The podcast is working. Knock on wood. Um, All right. So so anyway, uh, you uh, you may remember in the, uh, the last thing that happened in The Curators in part four was that our protagonist uh, decided to pack up his cell phone and some apps and stuff that he is not to show supposed to be showing the aliens to go visit the aliens mm-hmm. roger real so, quick tell, tell everybody what we're doing because i'm about to go pee <laughs> um uh, yeah this is the curators which i published over a course of two years on the reddit uh subreddit r slash hfy which stands for humanity fuck yeah which is uh, for stories that are about how humans are ascendant. It was a, it was formed as a reaction against the way that humans were portrayed in the movie Avatar, where we're we're the bad guys and we suck and we lose the battle, even though we have superior technology. And uh, many of the stories on HF HFY is a very friendly group for writers. Uh, they. Uh, they're very welcoming, but a lot of the stories there end up being about humans stomping their way across the galaxy, you know, wiping out everything that's in their path and just generally being uh, physically superior and you know, are cleverer than the aliens. And I wanted to do something in that vein because that was the topic, but a little different. I wanted to show humans being uh, awesome because we're empathetic, because we are smart, maybe because we were forced to do things ourselves that everyone else had given to them. And uh, I started without any plan. So this started as what I thought might be a four or five part series and ended up being 200,000 words over the space of two years. 
And uh, that was one episode every week. Uh, but for Tommy, I'm going to be reading four or five episodes a week. So we'll get through it a bit quicker than that. Uh, so anyway, our protagonist is a uh, skin doctor who got contacted because the all of the aliens have a mark that was put there by something that created them. And they all take this for granted. And they are rather... Uh, amu- you know, be amused by the fact that we don't have this mark. The curators, for some reason, did not curate us. So, uh, in part five, this is the curator's part five. And uh, at the end of part four, our protagonist packed up his cell phone and a few apps that he had promised to never show the aliens in order to go visit the aliens again. So, while we were still falling through the gravity well of one of Seville's system's gas giants in order to match the velocity for Seville orbit, I invited Kay to my stateroom and showed it the phone. You asked me a question on my last visit and I wasn't able to answer. I said, this time I brought the answer. I navigated to the phone's video gallery and queued up a documentary on the modern manufacture of integrated circuits. Kay's dermis was brown when the video started, but slowly turned dark red, then bright red as it watched. Kay made a gesture, and I demonstrated the touch control to pause the playback. How is this thing getting video data from Earth? It isn't. It's self-contained. You have an entire video stored in a device this size? It's much worse than that. I flipped the phone over and popped to the cover, revealing the memory chip the size of a human fingernail. This video and about a hundred more are stored in that. How in the cosmos is this possible? The video you are watching explains that. Kay started watching again. Silicon plates were cut, polished, vacuum deposited, exposed, etched, rinsed, and it was done again with slightly different chemicals, and again, and again. Kay paused the video. How accurately do these things have to be registered each time they put them back in the vacuum chamber? It's in the video intro, but I think this is a 20 nanometer process, so quite a bit less than that, obviously. They use optical methods, in this case with ultraviolet light, to keep the wavelength as short as possible. And they do this how many times? The video explains it. I think there are about 30 steps in this process. And this works? You're holding the result in your hands. Kay finished the video, its dermis almost glowing fluorescent green by the time it was done. How many of these machines can your species produce? Just about every one of us gets a new one every year or two as they improve. But that means you must make billions of them by this convoluted and insane process. And we do just that. The plant where those chips are made costs over a billion dollars to build, and it's just one of many that are necessary to make these devices. The penalty did not translate. I thought about it a bit. It represents the directed effort of tens of thousands of humans focused on nothing else for at least a year. I recognized that it was Kay's turn to be thoughtful. How on earth do you get your people to put in that kind of an effort to make things like this? We give them tokens which they can exchange for things like this, called money. You need money for other things which your people seem to take for granted, so my people are motivated to do what they can to get a supply. 
Kay, I know you were one of the negotiators dealing most frequently with my people. Didn't we tell you about any of this? No, nothing like this. Nothing about the system you have. Do you, do you mean that basic life necessities like food and water are tied to this money system? I nodded, a gesture I knew Kay understood. We call it capitalism. It's been pretty successful. It sounds distressingly coercive. Well, truthfully, it is. But nobody gave us the gifts your people got, so we had to come up with something. Come to think of it, I have no idea where your technology comes from either. We hid nothing from your people. We assumed your leaders would inform you. On Earth, that's not always a good assumption. I've shown you mine, Kay. How can I learn about your technology? I know exactly who you need to talk to. Two days later, the fold ship had made orbit. The shuttle had taken us to the surface, and Kay was introducing me to one of Seville's top nanite assembly researchers. The walls of the office were lined with what seemed to be electron micrographs. We started the meeting by letting it watch the video on my phone. This is remarkable, it said. Kay has alerted me to this device's produced many memory capacity, but how is it powered? Chemical battery, I said. I popped the cover and showed it. It's dying, though, at about 50% capacity. I brought a device that can recharge it, but it needs a source of very bright light, like sunshine. Oh, we can accommodate you for that, the researcher said. It has never occurred to anyone in millions of years to try anything like the production effort this video portrays. The number of ways for things to go wrong would simply be seen as silly, and using nanites is so much easier. I brought him here so he can see our methods, Kay said. Ah, well, behold, it led me to one of the wall posters and tapped it. This is a single nanite, possibly the greatest gift the curators since we became sapient. It was a cube with some patterns on its sides. Is that an electron micrograph? How, how big is it? After some dickering with the translator, we established that, yes, it was a scanning electron micrograph, and the nanite was about 400 nanometers on edge. A single nanite isn't good for much, though, the researcher said. Here's the simplest structure we know of, which can create more nanites. It consists of about 500 nanites itself. And it doesn't actually do anything with the nanites it creates, although other processes can use them. What does it use as raw materials? Ultraviolet light for energy, silicon dioxide, which it separates into oxygen and silicon, and trace elements dissolved in a surrounding fluid. It's not hard to arrange. Our immature young are encouraged to make nanite nursery as part of their education. And what can they do? They can be electronic amplifying or digital computation elements or structural elements. They can store electrical energy and emit light. Practical assemblies require hundreds of thousands, millions, or even more nanites, but arbitrarily large numbers of them can be self-assembled from simple materials as part of a larger construction process. Most of our buildings are made of them since it's so much easier to let the building build itself than to maneuver heavy materials into place. I had noticed that for all their high tech, neither Seville nor Pompeii had buildings higher than 10 or 15 stories. What's the tensile strength of a block of nanites? After more dickering with the translator, we established it was about 4,000 PSI. Our structural steel is about 10 times stronger than that, I said. But what do you have to do to make it? We melt it. What's it made of? Iron and nickel, 
I had been thinking of information technology and had not thought to bring a video of a foundry or steel mill. You melt metals in quantities large enough to make a building all the time. I suppose this takes the directed coordination of thousands of humans, too. Yes, that's the kind of how we do everything. Surely you have things that aren't made of nanites. Well, obviously we can't eat them, but much of our agriculture is run by machines that are made of them. They're capable of precise positioning and selective chemical selection, so we can use them to make plastics and other chemicals. <coughs> and we use those. For most things, nanites are a bit rough or overkill for, such as pipes and utensils. Tell me something. Your young can make nanites. Can they make advanced things with them? If they want to, the designs are openly available. But what about the full drive? Well, of course, it's made of nanites. It takes a lot of them, but it's not hard to get a lot of nanites. Of course, there's not much point making a full drive on the surface of the planet since you'd fold off a pretty big crater if you tried to use it. <coughs> and the full drive can fold your world into its star by accident. Well, the curators gave us the configuration constant, so there's no danger of that for us. What if someone decided to do it deliberately? Well, nobody would do that because it would be suicide. I decided that it was probably a good place to say, okay, thanks, and end the conversation. There were obviously a lot of things my fellow humans had not told these folks about us. Later, Kay presented at my door with a container of something called Royal Salute, which turned out to be another stupidly expensive scotch they could easily duplicate from a few sample drops. You are hiding something, Kay accused correctly. You've learned a lot about us, I said, trying to deflect. You're trying to deflect, Kay said. Dealing with totally honest people is really strange, but also an addictive thing. Some of my people would deliberately use the full drive to kill us all, I said. Oh, we've known that for a few years. It doesn't seem like anyone I've dealt with except you knows this. We really don't know what to do about it, and it's kind of terrifying. Many of your people are brilliant and noble, but many others are very ill. I nodded gravely. Maybe we should blame the curators for ignoring us. Kay held up its glass in the gesture it had learned from me. I met it with mine and clinked. We have no idea why you were denied, Kay said, but everyone among us thinks it was wrong. It has left you with challenges we cannot imagine, and you have met those challenges with solutions we could not imagine either. That will be a great thing to know if humanity survives this. It is not your race I worry about, Kay said to my surprise. I am what your people call a diplomat. I have traveled the galaxy and met members of thousands of species. We all have the same nanites, the same full drive, the same moon stabilizing our world. We all breathe oxygen and are built by DNA. As different as our species are, you and I share at least 50% the same DNA because of the curators. Kate tossed back its drink and I realized that it had been drinking quite a bit before it came to my room. Are you all right? I asked. I don't think any of us are all right now, Kay replied. As far as we have always known, nanites and the full drive are the peak achievements of technology. This has been the case for close to 8 billion of your Earth years. 
We have no idea what the curators might have held out on us. After all, they must have somehow made the first nanites. I never really thought about that much until you showed me the fabrication video. At some point, the curators must have been like you. After all, nobody curated them either. Kay kicked back its drink and quietly exited. And I realized, having studied its species, that its violet dermis meant Kay had just said goodbye. I would never see Kay again. Part 6 Although Kay wouldn't take my calls after our last meeting, I got along well with the director of the civilian nanite lab who took it upon itself to give me a thorough overview of the craft while I waited for the fold ship to make its scheduled return to Earth. It turns out that there are over a hundred types of nanite, including several that aren't intended to become part of a final structure, orchestrating the dance of nanites to build a macroscopic structure, particularly a large one like a building, is a feat on the order of any kind of engineering humans have ever done. The one thing that is constant about nanites is their 400 nanometer edgewise cubicle structure. It is that standard that makes the whole thing flow. Along the way, I took pictures of all the electron micrograph posters and even went on a couple of field trips to see and take phone video of the construction process. A couple of days before departure, I finally dared ask about the full drive and found my circumspection on the topic had been unnecessary. My host proudly told me there were four species of nanites that had no other purpose than to make critical parts of the fold generators. And while they knew the math and they knew the operating principle, they didn't really have a way to make that kind of hardware without using the original nanites that had been given to them by the curators. Finally, over glasses of another stupidly expensive earth brandy, I said I was curious about how the curators intervene. The civilian I had fallen into the habit of calling ill said that if I wanted to observe curator activity, I really needed to find a world on the critical path between the introduction of agriculture and writing and the final maturation of space travel in the full drive. That is the interval when the curators are most active in a species development, it said. It's a very clear thing from the archaeological record. Most active in most races development, I kind of scowled. Ah, yes, your friend Kay told me. I have no explanation and hope you find one that is satisfactory. It turned out the civilians were aware of several such current critical path races, but there was no fold ship service to their worlds because the curators enforced a quarantine. Later on Earth, the director of our fold ship project and several of his top aides listened intently on, to my account of all this. They solemnly copied the photos off my phone and didn't even warn me about showing them around or talking about what had happened. We really appreciate what you were doing, he said. I'm not sure what I am doing. I think you might be becoming our first ambassador to the galaxy. Later on, what I at first thought was a random walk through the facility, we came to a large machine. We are pretty sure this would solve our largest problem, he said. It is a fold suppressor. The universe doesn't actually like folds to come into contact, and it can be stopped. The math is sound, and we're pretty sure it can't be overcome. The problem is that it would also take us out of the interstellar community if we deployed it. Fold ships could always slow down and come close by some other method. They really have no other method. Their fold ships are so large they have no other practical drive than the fold generator itself and if we disable that they would be helpless as they crashed in our gravity well 
None of them would ever risk coming near such a thing. I might feel safer with this thing running if our own people start making full drives. Exactly, which is why we built and tested it. But we think something better is possible. We walked some more and came to a cavernous space being prepped for construction. This is where we're going to build a fold span limiter. I didn't want to sound stupid, so I just looked inquisitive. The director smiled. The extent of the fold in three-dimensional space is mostly determined by the mass surrounding the original fold point. It establishes a resonance in ten-dimensional space, which fixes the size of the fold. Given a mostly solid spherical mass surrounding the fold point, the usual dimension is about three times the radius of the physical mass. So that's why if you fold off the planet, you take the whole planet with you. It's a bit more complicated. If you don't know what you're doing, you take the whole planet. But even if you know the constants and start at the surface, you take a chunk about the size of a large stadium. Still doesn't sound very practical. It's not. The thing is, the same principle that makes it possible to suppress the fold should also make it possible to limit the span of a fold. We're pretty sure that we can make this thing, and we're working on it 24/7. It would let us allow fold ships to visit without allowing either our own crazies or anyone else to fold us off into the sun. Basically, it would only suppress folds that aren't properly configured. Sounds like a worthwhile project, I observed neutrally. Not our most important, though, he said. We walked some more, finally through a garage door into the outdoors. We walked up to what I recognized as a two-seat trainer VTOL jump jet. Behold mankind's first starship, my host said. This thing has a fold drive? I thought the fold drive itself was bigger than this whole airplane. It is if you make it with nanites. Our fabrication methods are flat, but much finer. Our fold drive is about half a meter across. We chose this jet because its pressurization system wasn't hard to enhance for full vacuum. It can fall into the atmosphere and glide to the ground, then jump and fly high enough to safely fold out of the atmosphere with very little fuel. Have you ever flown it? There's someone I want you to meet. I saw that a woman in uniform was walking toward us. He made introductions. First human ambassador to the stars? Meet our first starship pilot. I've taken it to every world in the solar system," she said as we shook hands. "Let me tell you, Pluto is weird." I looked at the director. "Oh, we've recorded good scientific data, although we'll have to be careful releasing it," he said. "Within a few years, everyone will know about this, but for now, it's one of our biggest secrets." "I'm not sure I'm getting used to this," I said with a bit of a morbid chuckle. Oh, it's about to get a lot worse. Your next assignment is to go to one of the critical path worlds the civilians told you about and find evidence of curator activity. Which one? I figured I would leave that decision to you. I haven't flown it out of the solar system yet, my pilot said reassuringly. Looking forward to it. So the very next day, I was over a hundred light years from Earth. This time in a craft made entirely by human industry, with a pilot who was having way too much fun as she folded us in and out of planetary gravity wells to check and match velocities. Finally, we folded into the upper atmosphere of a world that looked a lot like Earth, Seville, or Pompeii. We'll be on the ground in about half an hour, M said from the front seat. We won't burn up. We don't have orbital velocity. We'll fall until we can glide. Then I'll start the engines to land us. This all went according to plan. 
aren't we the first humans on this world? I asked him as she took off her pressure mask. Of course, the aliens don't come here, and this is the only human starship. Well, then how is it that there's a human being standing at the edge of the clearing? He gave the appearance of a well-groomed British gentleman and watched quietly as we stowed our gear and departed the Starcraft. Once we were on the ground, he approached and offered his hand, which we should care cordially. M deferred to me as I was supposed to be the ambassador. I thought we were the first humans here, I said with an attitude of respect and slight surprise. Oh, but you are, he said with a smile. We perfected the art of walking among our children aeons ago. If I presented at any of your most advanced hospitals, they would never suspect that I am an alien, but I am in fact one of those you call curators. We came here to find you, I said. I know. Earth is my normal assignment, obviously, but I was tasked to come here and intercept you when we realized you were going to break quarantine. Your cosmic acquaintances are both very young species, like you barely out of quarantine themselves, and they did not understand and therefore communicate just how dangerous this is. Why? We do not care much about what happens to species that have not reached the start of the critical path. They live and die all the time, accomplishing nothing, arousing no interest. And we consider it a duty of those species that have completed the critical path and gained space travel to learn to deal with all the challenges they will find in the vastness of space and myriad interactions of interstellar commerce. Should you attempt a rampage of conquest, they should be able to defend themselves. But the species on the critical path are interesting to us, but vulnerable to premature influences and not yet able to defend themselves against invaders armed with high technology. We do not want you to recruit or proselytize them or impose an order here. We want these beings to define their own order, refine it, reinforce it, then take it to the galaxy to participate in the vast garden that we have been creating for almost 8 billion of your Earth years. M spoke up. You don't seem to have cared much for us on our critical path, she said with a bit of bitterness. Your belligerence worried us, the curator said, unfazed. You are far more willing to murder your brothers and sisters than is usual. We decided to develop you slowly so that you might have time to mature beyond this impulse. But it happened that every time we thought it was a suitable time for a development, you had either done it already yourselves or were about to. In the latter cases, we allowed you to advance on your own so you could own your achievement. For all your troubles, your species had made remarkable accomplishments. Even though you made it from a murder weapon, your craft here is a wonderfully and uniquely small and maneuverable starship. It didn't occur to you to intervene to help us with our belligerence rather than leave us to our own devices? He shrugged. It was a judgment call. Your rate of advancement has been startling. We underestimated the effect of mutual murder would have even on those of you not inclined so much to fratricide since you had to defend yourselves against the dangerous minority. Of course, your dangerous ones tend to find high office in your political systems, which is an ongoing problem. For aeons, our policy has been one of mostly non-intervention. Sometimes our children kill themselves instead of developing. It's a natural part of what we are trying to encourage. We have had other murderous children, but none so technologically successful as yourselves. And now we have the full drive. Yes, it will be interesting to see what you do with it. It is as dangerous as it is useful. 
Only a handful of species in all of our experience have ever gone to the trouble to build nuclear weapons. The ability to make a big, messy, poisonous explosion is rather unimpressive next to what a full drive can do. And most of our children get the full drive without ever building the massive industrial works you have made. And with nanites, any individual person who wants to can make a full drive. Exactly. So what happens next? You leave this world and don't come back to any critical path quarantine world. We mostly consider you your own and our children's problem. But we will not tolerate interference in our gardening. The civilians misled you on one point because they don't know the truth themselves. Our standards are reasonable and none of our children have been stupid enough to fold their home worlds into this star by accident once we gave them the proper configuration parameters. But a few worlds have been folded into their stars. We do not seek to create an ordered formal garden. We want to be surprised by our children. Nothing would be more boring and pointless than a galaxy full of life that we design performing to some perfect specification. But even so, once in a while, we do have to weed. Is that a threat? M asked sharply. Just a warning. Our requirements are few and reasonable. I will give you half an hour to depart. If you do not, you will never see Earth again. And he disappeared into thin air. What the hell? M rushed forward and pawed the ground where he had been standing. Tell me he didn't fold out from the surface of a planet. He folded out. How the hell did he do that? Uh, come on, we have to leave. We have to find out how he did that. And we never will if he folds us off to the other side of the galaxy, which I think is what he was implying if we don't leave. He just showed us something extremely valuable. And what's that? We're nowhere near being able to do anything like this. No. But now that we know it's possible, we can start trying to figure out how he did it. Fuck yeah. You, you did that part in, a, in a, <clears throat> a reading about six months ago, that little blip. Yeah. There, there, there'll be a few things that you recognize. All right. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. Right. Part seven. As I climbed down from the thing that had once been an airplane, it hit me hard that this was a starship, a human-built and human-owned starship, and we had just taken it to a world circling another star without any help from anybody. They hadn't put a lot of effort into cosmetic customization, and it was still the same drab semi-camo olive green that they love for subsonic warplanes that just don't have the sexy new stealth stuff going for them. I realized the fold ship project had probably rescued it from a scrap pile. Does this thing have a name? I asked him as she secured her gear. We call it the test article, she said with a shrug. It's the only one of its kind that we have. Well, it won't be for long. Do you think it's a good idea for the history books to say we just took humanity's first self-propelled trip to another star in the test article? She looked at the craft thoughtfully. Well, I hear you're the namer of alien worlds. What would you call it? I'd favor Firefly, except it's kind of used. Wait, it's green, and we went from the ground here to the ground there. How about Grasshopper? She looked at the craft thoughtfully, then motioned for me to follow. We winded among aircraft, mostly in various states of disassembly, until we got to a mechanics area. Are the paint guys here? M asked loudly. Yeah, we're here. Can I get the name Grasshopper painted on the fold project test article? 
By whose authority? I'm the aircraft's commander. Once the higher-ups realized what had happened, Em and I were separated for debriefing. Since we hadn't thought to record it, they went over our conversation with the curator until everyone was sure we had it right syllable for syllable, and different sketch artists worked from our descriptions. Finally, we were reunited in a conference room where we faced about 30 people, mostly scientists and engineers with military backgrounds, before the director. This is not a tribunal or anything like that, the director said. We just need to figure out where we stand, and you're at the focal point right now. Em and I both nodded. How serious is the threat that these curators pose? Em gave me an, uh, I'm just the pilot look. Of course, in addition to being a test pilot, she was a graduate-level physicist and part of the team that had built the full drive, but of the two of us, I was apparently the diplomat. If we piss them off enough, it's existential, I said. But I think he wanted to make it clear that it would be hard for us to piss them off that much and fairly easy to keep them uninterested in us. Going to a quarantined, critical path world is one of the few things they really care about. And what was the nature of the threat he made if you would have stayed? I looked at him. He threatened to fold us off to the other side of the galaxy. We would have had no way to navigate gate home or even to find nearby habitable worlds it would have been a death sentence but not a threat to earth not not to fold us into the sun not in that case but he did make it clear that he'd gone that far before with a few other species sometimes they do have to weed their galactic garden the voices changed but the tone didn't really these were mostly military personnel and they didn't like the idea of limits being placed on them what does it take to piss them off that much I'm not sure I want to know, I said. Do we really need to push them? The director spoke up. In all our talks with aliens, none have ever mentioned a conversation like this with a curator. They get gifts, but never interaction. Not even the most distant stories are legends of such an encounter. No hint that they know or even think that the curators walk among them in disguise. We'll have to follow this up, but I have to think this was a pretty extraordinary intervention on their part. He called the ship wonderful and unique, M said. I had the impression he was using our language very precisely, Jay. I agree, I said. Those were the only superlatives he used except for the ones describing our fetish for murder. The test article is just a tiny test ship, not even capable of docking with another vessel or carrying passages in proper spacesuits, someone in the audience said. It doesn't even make a proper substitute for our rocket shuttles to their fold ships. What could possibly make it so extraordinary? M seemed to be looking into some far place. It's a grasshopper, she said. What? Jay did his naming thing again, the director said. The test article is being named Grasshopper for whatever reason. M is its commander, so it's her right and decision. We departed the surface of a planet, folded, and landed on the surface of another planet. They can't do that. None of them can do that. Isn't that right, Jay? M had never met an alien other than the curator, but I had spent hundreds of hours talking to them. I think you might be right. It's a self-contained ship that can leave from the surface of a world, fold to another, and land on its surface. All their fold ships require ground support to do transport from ground to orbit. We don't even need to orbit because we can just drop into the atmosphere and land on the damn surface. Her eyes got wider. And the curators do it their own way with even higher technology. We crossed a barrier they set for their children in a way they didn't expect. 
she took a sip of water. They've been doing this curation thing for 8 billion years, and they've never seen it before, she said in a tone of awe. That seems like exactly what happened, I said. I was there, and she's right. The curator was impressed, and he was establishing position. I took a sip of water. He made a point of mentioning that he could pass for a human even in a hospital. I think he meant that for me since I'm a doctor. He knew I was a doctor. He wanted to remind me that they have a very fine control of, of biology. As if the mark of the curators hadn't suggested that. Forgive me, rocket scientist, but I think getting to the stage of disguising yourself as an alien life form effectively enough to present at an alien hospital is probably a bit harder than even making a full drive. Could your visitor simply have been human? If so, one well-equipped with alien technology, well-versed in their technology and culture, and ready to go to action in a matter of days. As M mentioned, the precision of his language, I also tend to think he wouldn't do prevarication. The curators operate from a point from which such unpleasantness just isn't necessary. When you really have the power, you don't have to misrepresent what you can do. We need to carefully explore our options, the director said. While I'm currently more worried by what our own idiots would do with a full drive, we may have made a faux pas here. What are the permitted parameters? We don't need another threat from godlike aliens. If I may offer a suggestion, a very old gentleman said from the back of the room, unlike most of the participants, he wasn't wearing a uniform. As I understand, we have visited two types of alien world. A few civilized worlds with space travel, and now a critical path world with a species transitioning from agriculture to space travel. Did the alien not say that they didn't care about the worlds that hadn't reached the critical path? That is exactly what he said, Em and I said more or less simultaneously. So we humans completed the critical path much faster than normal, but it normally takes at most 100,000 or maybe a million years and, of course, those worlds which have completed the critical path are potential enemies if we tried to invade them. But the Earth was habitable for beings such as ourselves for most of half a billion years before we finally emerged to start on our own critical path. The curators may have been making worlds like the Earth all over the galaxy for aeons. It seems that Many properly placed moons and water and introduced life must be somewhere between our Cambrian explosion and the rise of our own agricultural ancestors. So, if I'm reading this transcript right, I think we were just offered these worlds if we want them. Em and I looked at one another and our eyes widened in recognition. The curator had told us the worlds we weren't allowed to go to and the worlds he expected to challenge us if we threatened them. He hadn't mentioned that there were a lot of others nobody cared about, waiting to be explored or even colonized. The negative space was our gift. Why wouldn't the other aliens have gone to these worlds? Another voice asked. M seemed to grow about half a meter and said, Because they can't get to the ground! 
The aliens' full drives are big, and their fold ships are too big to land, so they need to orbit. And they need ground-based support to travel from orbit to the surface. But we have a ship that can simply go to the ground and get back up without ground support on any world with an oxygen atmosphere. Which, I said, thanks to the curators, should be a lot of them. It was suddenly obvious why the curator had called Grasshopper wonderful. May I ask who you are? M asked of the man who had made the suggestion. Oh, I just wrote a couple of science fiction stories, but these guys liked them. Why can't the aliens make a craft like our grasshopper? Another authoritative voice. They make everything of nanites, so their methods are coarse. Nanites are seductively convenient, but once they bond themselves in place to make a larger thing, a lot of the underlying structure is still there for now mission-useless things like moving around and energy conversion and following the assembly plan. The coarseness limits the resolution of their fold operations. The smallest fold drive they can make is bigger than the entire grasshopper and far too heavy to make a winged or VTOL surface landing. What about the alien folding off the world directly? If they made that full drive by true nano-assembly, an atom at a time, that kind of precision should be possible in a device you could put in your pocket, another voice said. We've been arguing in our group about whether that could ever be possible. I think our astronauts have given us a direction for research. I felt a bit of a swell at that. I wasn't just a dermatologist, even a world-famous one with celebrity clients. I was an astronaut. Is that kind of assembly even possible, someone asked? The nanites do it themselves in the process of reproduction. They nano-disassemble one of their own kind and execute a gain copy operation simultaneously, making millions of atom-by-atom -atom copies. This process is also how they copy things like small amounts of frozen food and drink. But the nanites cannot create new designs, only copy what already exists, and in very small chunks. To make a pocket full drive, you'd have to make an original design the size of, say, a bald fist all in one go. That involves a hell of a lot of atomic placements. It must be possible, though, if our witnesses are accurate. There is another thing, someone else said. The ability to make a fold drive implies the ability to detect fold operations at a distance. That's how the civilians found us. But all during our research, we have detected occasional hints of full drive activity at close range and small scale. We have observed such events on an almost daily basis. We had written them off as noise or interference, but this suggests the possibility that we are detecting curator activity. The room erupted in a chorus of exclamations. The director had to pound his folding table to restore order. Wouldn't the aliens have detected these activities? They build their full drives in orbit, and their resolution is low. For their equipment, it's probably below the true noise threshold. I think we have several courses for new action, the director almost shouted. The full drive team needs to look into these possible curator fold events. The nanite team needs to look into nanoassembly at larger scale and liaise with the fold team about what they might need you to be able to do to move forward. We have completed and are testing another actual full drive assembly with a third nearing completion, and we need to be considering what kind of craft to make with them. And our pilot and ambassador need to find us worlds we can safely explore and colonize. How will we find them? M asked. I have a surprise of my own. At about the time you were leaving 
in the critical path world, we received a gift from the curators, apparently our first in a long time. He showed us a keychain memory unit. It was encrypted with our best algorithm using our own administrative password and placed on one of our most secure servers in a place where we couldn't fail to notice it. Our network guys were quite impressed. But if the curators can really pass us human and fold past our security systems, it might not imply that great of a computer hacking ability. Anyway, it's a digital map of the galaxy. The instructions are in Esperanto and very clear. It lists every quarantined world and every developed world in the galaxy. I checked, and Earth is there. We are listed as developed in space fair, <coughs> just like Seville and Pompeii. The curators have been curating worlds for aeons. Given the incubation time, there should be plenty that aren't listed. If we find a world that's habitable and not on this list, it should be open. Finding Earth-like worlds is hard at interstellar distances, but not so hard when you can visit a star and flit about it with the foal drive. Within three weeks, we had an instrumentation package for the grasshopper that made it possible to map all the worlds of a candidate solar system within an hour or two by doing a dozen sky scans from the vertices of an imaginary icosahedron around the star. After that, our main immersion, immediate limitation was that we only had one craft to do both the sky surveys and the ground investigations. Even so, within a month, Em and I had found and walked on a dozen different Earth-wide worlds, and no one had challenged us about our presence on any of them. Part 8 I had never been much of a camper, but M had to take a geologist on a mission to another world, and our newest starship was scheduled to arrive within a day. I awoke to the droning of the C-130's turboprop engines. I kicked the switch that turned on the battery-powered LED landing lights and got out of the tent in time to see a row of parachutes blossom in the morning sky. The boxcar couldn't land yet, having no landing strip, but that was also the purpose of this mission. As it popped off into the first fold back home, the last of the parachutes to emerge from the plane turned out to be lighter and more maneuverable than those floating pallets of tools and materials to the surface. One of those landed near me and the serviceman saluted as he advanced. Sir, are you Ambassador Jay? He asked earnestly. Son, we are 80 light years from the earth and my pilot is both female and on another mission. So that's kind of an obvious thing, I said dryly. A few minutes later, his commanding officer got to me. Ambassador, he said simply with an outstretched hand, which I shook vigorously. We are going to build you the finest damn airstrip this planet has ever seen, he said with a shark-like grin. I appreciate that, but I hope you realize that that's kind of a low bar to clear. We both laughed and he turned around. Man, let's get the quarters raised. The ambassador is probably tired of sleeping on the ground and eating MREs. Within a couple of hours, they had a large tent erected and we were populating it with folding beds and tables. These were the CBs, the Navy's construction battalion, and they were doing what they had done on every corner of the earth for a hundred years. A few hours later, I was being asked to address the men Ambassador Jay, have you chosen a name for this place? The Admiral asked. I have, I said. Welcome to the world of Providence. There was applause. So we are under the protection of God as we do our work here, he asked a little later. 
That's not actually why I chose the name, I said, but I didn't explain it just then. The men fanned out. There were both a small river and a limestone formation nearby, which is were the main reasons our geologists chose this location for our first off-earth project. The Seabees had brought everything else necessary to make a concrete airstrip. The process was scheduled to take about two weeks. Boxcar seems like a rather prosaic name for our second starship, the Admiral said, as we were dishing out a welcome meal of fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Does it now, I said. You know, there was once a guy named Fred Bach, who was the commander of a B-29 in World War II. His craft was named Boxcar, and that's what was painted on its nose. And while Bach didn't pilot the mission, that was the plane that Charles Sweeney commanded on Drop Our Second Atomic Bomb, Fat Man on the city of Nagasaki. And let's face it, it's a cargo craft, so it basically is an airborne boxcar. The next day, I heard a familiar engine scream and Grasshopper landed near to our original small tent. I introduced Em and her geologist to the Seabees, and we had turkey and dressing for dinner. The boxcar returned about three times a day to drop more supplies by parachute. Eventually, the airstrip began to emerge, starting as a rough area graded by a couple of small all-terrain machines. Within a week, the concrete plant was making Portland cement, the grinder was making and sorting aggregate, and the batcher was mixing it all with water from the nearby stream to make concrete. Emma had to go home to file a report and offered to take me with her, but I wanted to see the airstrip construction through to completion. As it turned out, she was back before the airstrip was done, but it was well on its way, a flat strip of hard surface that would be over 3,000 meters long when it was ready. The boxcar kept returning and dropping parachutes and generators, lighting and painting supplies were added to our kit. There was also wine and whiskey, and after a few days, the Admiral asked me over dinner the inevitable question, why Providence? Well, it's the capital of Rhode Island, I said. And of the 50 states, you chose to honor Rhode Island by naming our first interstellar colony after its capital? Providence was founded by Roger Williams after he got kicked out of Massachusetts, I said. It was the first place where actual religious freedom was practiced in the New World. Before Williams, all the colonies were founded as theocracies. That's pretty good. Williams must have been one forward-looking person. I actually snorted my bourbon. Oh, on the contrary, I said, laughing out loud. Roger Williams is one of the most horribly stubborn fundamentalists to ever live. He believed literally that only 144,000 people could ever get into heaven. He was kicked out of Massachusetts because the other Puritans thought he was too extreme. Several seconds of awkward, awkward silence. Then the admiral asked, well, why did you name the world for his capital? He reasoned that if God had placed his chosen few in the midst of so many of the damned, then it must mean that God must have meant for those chosen to find a way to live in peace with the damned. It meant that even the natives and other heathens should be taken seriously. Williams is the reason religious freedom was written into the Constitution of the United States, not because he believed all religion was valid, but because he believed it was his duty to live in peace among those damned to hell. As I finished saying that, I saw glasses being lifted into the air. To Providence, then, a lot of men said in unison, and I raised my glass to join them. The next day, Boxcar finally landed on the world of Providence and was followed shortly by the city of New Orleans, another starship that had once been a C-130, but unlike the Boxcar, was fitted for passenger rather than cargo service. One of the men who got off of the New Orleans was an army general. 
You need to keep thinking of names, he said with a chuckle. We're looking to buy a few surplus Boeing 747s. I thought those had mostly been retired from service, I said. Oh, they have. But the use case for them as long-distance aircraft on Earth isn't nearly as good as that for them as fold-drive starships. Later that evening, I wandered out onto the airstrip and realized that it was really a lot larger than necessary for a C-130. The military guys were thinking ahead of the game and out of the box. This first airstrip humans ever built on another world was one that could easily accommodate a Boeing 747. Part 9. One year later. The Starship Olympic departed from the passenger terminal at JFK like any other aircraft. As a VIP, I made my way to the upstairs lounge and was issued a pair of Elkware slippers. After the converted 747 took off, it climbed out over the Atlantic Ocean and at 3,000 meters began a series of fold transfers designed to minimize the amount of air we were taking with us into outer space. After about 10 of these, we were 100 kilometers up and folded out to Neptune to spend three hours falling into its gravity well. Flight attendants took over, passing out alcoholic drinks and squeeze bulbs and Velcro slippers to those passengers who needed to visit the restrooms. The captain came on and announced how to view Neptune's moons Triton and Nereid and some surface storms that were visible. We now had over 30 runways and half a dozen serviceable airports and more than a dozen extrasolar worlds, and we were just starting our galactic exploration. The new world of Pretoria had only had its airstrip for a couple of months and was still very underdeveloped, although some special projects were underway that were considered a bit dangerous for a more populated world. M was waiting for me at the edge of the tarmac, and as soon as I had packed my little camping bag and uh, grasshopper, we were off to an even newer and more distant world. We spent several days scouting sites for cities and airports and doing little more than just camping together. It was all peaceful R&R until M woke me up in the middle of the night. Jay, you have to get to the grasshopper right now. Don't gather anything or hesitate. We have to get out of here. I had seen M in her role as a military officer a few times. I knew better than to argue. We had parked grasshopper far enough away to avoid knocking our tent down as it took off or landed. I was climbing into the rear seat when there was a bright flash of light, and I looked back to see our tent engulfed in a fireball. What the? Quickly! She was already in her seat, coping secured and starting the engines. As Grasshopper rose into the air, another bomb went off between the tent and our takeoff point. Okay, why am I in the jump seat in my pajamas? Because you don't prefer to sleep naked. Also, Grasshopper monitors continuously for fold events now. I had some alarms set. We've never known quite what to look for, but there are a few things we knew wouldn't be normal. There's a fold ship overhead, and it's not in orbit. It's positioned right over us to act as a bomber. Did we know the aliens could do that? We knew it was within the range of their demonstrated tech. We gained out how it might work if we wanted to use their tech as a weapon. We didn't know if any of them had gone to the same trouble. These guys can obviously aim. Well, they missed the ship. Jay, I'm pretty sure they want to steal the ship. It wouldn't do them much good if they bombed it. She punched the full drive and folded us straight out of the atmosphere to a point a few hundred miles away. Within a few seconds, the giant fold ship appeared distressingly close. M folded again, and the alien ship followed again, appearing even closer. Well, they can track fold events. No big surprise there. What if you fold out further? 
I don't want to get too far from the plan that if they try any kind of energy or projectile weapon on us, we might have to make an unpowered reentry. They're coming closer. Em used the RCS jets to nudge us away, but the fold ship came after us. It wasn't as maneuverable as we were, but it had a lot more power at its disposal. Grasshopper's air-breathing engines don't function in vacuum. So in space, it depends on the relatively small RCS rockets and batteries. Well, this is something I never expected to need so soon. You might want to close your eyes, Jay. Why? You don't have a welder's mask back there, and you don't want to be blinded. I closed my eyes, and despite that, my vision was blasted with white light. I threw an arm up to block it, and it barely helped. The light is hot and searing and ended as quickly as it had begun. When I was able to open my eyes, the alien ship was quite a bit further away, and there was a giant hole in its side. What in the name of the curators was that? Well, you know those nifty little communicators they use so that they're not so smart tablets can phone home? They call them microfold generators. They're not capable of passing matter, only massless particles like photons, and only across a relatively limited transfer aperture. There's a project going on in Praetoria to open one of those into the photosphere of the sun and use the solar energy to fire a steam electric generating plant, much more energy dense than the aliens' methods, and we have all the other tech developed. Well, along come my people with their Mars hats on and... Wait a minute. Fuck, they're not in orbit. So? They're falling to the surface. They can't stop it. They're suicidal idiots, didn't give themselves orbital velocity, and now if they can't fold out, they're all going to die. My heart bleeds for them. Didn't they just try to kill us? Yes, and this is weird. Their full drive still seems to have some functionality, but it looks like... Oh my god! She punched us out to well beyond the world's moon, just in time to watch the entire planet disappear in a brief explosion of sunlight. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and that was part nine of The Curators. We will start with part ten, where we find out what the fuck just happened next time. Dude. <laughs> so I, I love the... I love the military planning, right? You kind of get that in, uh, right? You see it in Avatar. You also see it in the, the animated Atlantis, where there's always, right? There's always the mil, um, the early sh uh, the the ships of the United Kingdom or the British Empire when they were mapping, I think South America. They brought along cartographers and astronomers who were actually reporting back to the Navy. If there's always mm -hmm. that military. It's the hand, right? It's the iron fist and the velvet glove. It's always, there's always an aspect there where it's, I mean, they say that like, you know, companies like ExxonMobil, it's like widely thought that like, there's probably been like, guys like Dale have probably like started a mission from an ExxonMobil rig because it's there. It's, and it's socially mm -hmm. accepted that. So all that being said, I love that. I've always just loved that sort of military planning like you're already right the air, the air uh the airfield is bigger than needed why because they're looking ahead five six that's just what they're trained to do right general mattis be nice be kind have a plan to kill everyone you meet but it's kind of right it's always they're always they're not they don't just go in like what are we doing it's always plan on top of a plan we know 747s use them okay so i liked all that i love the idea of the uh again the full detector what why do I have my podcast in an EMP vault? Because I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> but I'd rather be safe, right? And it's 
so yeah so let's detect let's detect fold events why we don't know but we know that they don't happen a lot it's like uh I had a guy named AJ on who used to be a tank commander in Iraq and he called it, I think it's technically you can't do it under the Geneva convention, but it's called recon by fire and it's you're driving around in a tank and maybe you don't see an enemy, but you do pick up something weird on the horizon behind some like trees and it's Sarge, what's or you know, commander, whatever. What's what's behind that tree. You blast a machine gun into it, nothing. And so it's, you know, it's Ill, it's illegal under the Geneva Conventions because what if you're killing civilians? But it's who's behind that door? Bam! Not anybody now. So it's kind of like you just detect as a baseline, right? Human survival. So detecting the fold events, we don't know why anyone would be there, but we know that there should be nobody there. If someone, if I hear someone in my kitchen at two a.m., I don't know who it is, but I know it shouldn't be anyone. They're not supposed. So to I'm going to start shooting. <laughs> right? It's just. I'm gonna. You're not getting the benefit of the doubt. So I'm rambling all that to say, and then, of course, right? You prepare for the worst, and that's exactly what happened. And there's that beautiful synergy, right, where where you have the the people that had to develop technology that the rest of the world never had to develop, and so we have these things and once we can kind of get on a level playing field of folding now all of a sudden what was once primitive again let's say there's an EMP and all the world systems go down the people who are going to run the world are probably people in Africa that know how to use tools I love that idea of <laughs> yeah we got we still got nukes and although they may seem primitive right now it's like big dick energy and it's I love yes. this I know I just the, ranted the, the, but, Nukes will, nukes will come into play yeah. eventually. Yeah, but I, eventually, I love, I love that. I love the planning. I love, yeah, yeah, just knowing what to do. There was no planning. That that, that, well, that that's the remarkable thing about this is that there was no planning. There was. I wrote this episode by episode. Oh no! I'm, deliberately I'm, I mean for the characters, <laughs> the military planning. Yeah. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah, I but yeah, it, which and it's a little weird that it came out so good like that because I was literally writing an episode generally on Tuesday or Wednesday, mm -hmm. dropping it on Saturday and making an effort, especially here in book one to not even think about the next episode until I dropped it on Reddit and saw if anyone commented on it, what people thought about it and mm -hmm. if there were any suggestions or anything. So, uh, when I wrote the scene that I just read, uh, yes, I understood that, the planet just got folded into its star by somebody but i had not thought about who did that or why they were there or or what they were doing except trying to steal the grasshopper and it wasn't until the next week that i started putting together what would become the next episode explaining the situation behind all that um the fact that it flows as well as it does astonishes me yeah because no, it flows uh, i set myself I set myself up to fail in a major way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really expect the thing to go for 10 episodes, much less 100 as it did. Well, um, side note, I think Steve Jobs said it. I know, I know, better or worse, I know Donald Trump said it early on about running real estate. But I want to say it was Steve Jobs who really implemented it. And it was like, show up to work like well rested and like with the energy to do whatever 
but don't get bogged down by plans. Stay free. Stay wild. (laughs) Stay. You got to know, you know, don't get. I'm not planning episodes in July. I never plan unless it's like a kind of a special guest that I got to reach out. Dude, my schedule past past seven days, it's an event horizon. I have no idea what the fuck's coming. But I think there's yeah. – I used to look at it as like dumb luck, but now I look at it as like I think that's crucial. I have no idea what's coming. You have no idea. It works. I, I've, I've, I've joked for 30 years that at the company where I work, uh, next week is long-term planning. That yes. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you never know what's going to happen. The phone's going to ring. Everything gets turned upside down. So yeah, you've got yeah. You want to have a plan, just so you have some idea what to be doing if nothing else happens. But you also don't want to be bound by that yes. plan in case something happens and you find it all getting turned upside down. Yes. So um, the uh, the military participation was a natural thing for HFY because. Uh, the entire subreddit was inspired by the movie Avatar, mm-hmm. and it was a reaction to, yeah, to the way humans were portrayed yeah. there because we sucked and we lost the battle despite having superior tech and all this. And so most of the stories that are on HFY have a military component, and a lot of it involves stomping across the galaxy, kicking everybody's butt. Uh, so to not have any military presence at all in the story would have been kind of strange for the subreddit. Well, it would also never uh, but happen. I did want to do something a little different. It would it would mm-hmm. also never happen. I mean, the United States Air Force had a large yeah. had an overwhelmingly large amount of input and sway in the design and construction of the space shuttle. They wanted originally NASA just wanted it to be this kind of tiny thing and uh, the Air Force was like, "No, it's got to be able to carry bombs." It's got to be able to carry uh, a keyhole satellite. Yeah, or yeah, or, or a Corona satellite, or a hexagon, or whatever. And it, but the entire idea was, well, we don't want to do that. Well, then you're not getting military funding. Well, you're or sorry, you're not getting big funding. It's you, you know you kind of got to play ball. Do you want the big fun? It's like in Prime Intellect, right? Do you want this military funding? Do you want? Th- well, I don't want to use it as a weapon. Well, then good luck with your little garage, you know, computer. <laughs> Do you want fucking? Do you want money raining yeah. on you? Do you want to, do you want us to take this Harrier jump jade off of a scrap pile and rebuild it, and then put a full drive in it? Then, uh... you know, it's hey man, Elon, <laughs> Elon Musk. You know, he gets a lot of contracts from the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, so there there was that, and uh, the. Uh, the whole the whole thing uh, is, is is kind of progressing. You know, I started with the fold drive because the thing about that style of interstellar uh, drive is it doesn't violate the relative uh, relativity, uh, which is why Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein used them. Uh, and at first, I, the, the idea that it was really primitive, they didn't have anything else. They're having to fold off to near a gas giant and fall toward the gas giant to adjust their velocity because that doesn't get adjusted. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have any other way to do that. Yeah. Um, and over the course of the story, we will gradually see them making innovations to fix some of these things. Uh, but I uh I was just I was having a blast writing this thing. Uh, I mean, you can tell because I, I didn't because I didn't know what was going to happen next week either. Yeah. I mean, I was just as surprised as you are. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's also got to be a beauty to that because you write yourself into a corner, and you gotta. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like the solo rants I do. 
Where are we going? What are we doing? <laughs> it's recording. It's fucking recording. Blah, 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 and you just start talking, and sometimes you fall. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you <laughs> fall flat on your face. But man, if it doesn't, if it's not sink or swim, if it's not kicking the the bird out of the nest, like you'll you'll find how uh, you'll find your uh, the level of ingenuity you have when you have to. I don't know if I can come up with anything. Kick him out onto the stage, and you're like, "How you doing, folks?" <laughs> just start. You pull a whole yeah. act out of your ass. It's yeah, yeah. man. So the uh, the next arc will be six episodes, so it'll be a, just a tad longer than this one was. But we'll we'll meet the people who tried to steal the grasshopper, and we'll deal with them. Fuck yeah! And that will be uh, yeah, and we we won't won't do it in the traditional way though. All right. So all right, I'll leave I'll leave that in the air for next week. All right. Well, um, let's. Uh... But uh, you know, I was doing things like you know, uh, I didn't know that full drives could detect other full drives until I wrote that. And I was like, I wrote that, and I was like, yeah, yeah you know well, what? that makes sense. Well, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> kind of, right? Yeah, I mean that, that, but it makes sense. Like if, if kind of just in the theme, you pull like, in space time like yeah. Taffy and working it out, then you have to kind of know where it is. It probably this feels, is, yeah, you probably so detect it, yeah. <laughs> Right, it's like what better to detect another radar system than a radar system? Like, yeah. you know. Uh, um, um, on a side note, and we'll wrap this one up. But uh, yeah, I saw your comment on my video, Tommy. Tell us how you really feel, because <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> like have, we've been doing, I've been doing episodes the last couple of days, and like thirty minutes in, something will be mentioned. The entire conversation will just be a like normal. The episode I did yesterday with JP, that was maybe less than one minute of the whole conversation was the verboten topics of uh, of a vaccine or or elections and the whole yeah. podcast the rest of the podcast was just goofy we were just talking shit and but it just it just made me realize i was like man this like a spike to the well somebody's shitting the punch like the whole thing is like can't upload it to youtube now and because i, I i'm not gonna self-censor Obviously, I didn't upload it to YouTube, but I kept the episode. But I was just realizing as I was like, man, I got to make these little fucking, hey, guys, sorry, we talked about the big bad boy stuff, so we can't put it up. And I couldn't even keep up the face by the end. I meant to stop recording when I said that. I went <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I thought I had stopped recording. <laughs> but I was like, so it'll be on Rumble, a bit shooting Spotify. I was like, fucking yeah. ridiculous. And realized I didn't stop. That was the real anger coming out. I was like, just... Whatever. It is ridiculous. It's, I mean, I, just let I let it out. Just let it out. Just let it's the free. I mean, I don't want to beat this dead horse because you and I have obviously done this a million times. Man, you just let it out. Let it out. People can decide for themselves, and if they can't, well, guess what? There's probably no saving them anyway. The people that yeah. figure out how to fucking make a microwave dangerous, well, hey, man, they're not. They're the kind of people that you know. They don't. They that they're the people that you need the warning for. Coffee is hot. It's like you can only nerf the world so much before it's like, well, I mean. They're the people who would build a full drive in their backyard and then yes. accidentally fold the earth off into the sun. Yes. That's, so that's whereas worried about. you might yeah. think that we're protecting those people by not letting them see podcasts where we talk about vaccines or, or whatever or Wuhan. Man, if if it wasn't my podcast that they were going to get hooked on and take it as truth, it was going to be Lord of the Rings or Alex Jones. <laughs> It, it, it's I don't know what to tell you. It's you know it's a blind man walking on a tightrope. It's like if they didn't fall into this pit of foam, they were gonna fall into the asphalt. So, but whatever. Fuck. I mean, I I do always sit behind it. 
it's a private company. They can do whatever they like. And I, I do, I legitimately mean that, but I mean, God damn, <laughs> fucking, whatever. One day this podcast is going to be banned because we're going to talk about fold drives and fold drives is going to be, for some reason, it's going to be hate speech and we're not going to understand what, or maybe we're appropriating Da Vinci. Two white guys yeah. appropriating Da Vinci. It's cancel culture, man. It's, yeah. it'll, it'll, Da Vinci was a white man. <laughs> You will eventually, Roger. You will be hung out to dry for wearing hate speech. He was Italian. Doesn't matter. Probably a member doesn't, of the mafia. Doesn't matter, Roger. <laughs> You're all white. Doesn't fucking matter. Um, let's wrap this bitch up. Um, this one will most likely be up tonight, but because I'm kind of exploring uncharted territory with like editing this kind of new thing I'm doing, right? The the Zoom versions will be up on mm. Bitshoot and Rumble because those ones are. Those are prepackaged, ready to go. the The Spotify file will be up. I who, who I, I noticed there seems, I noticed there seems <clears throat> there seems to be some kind of uh, automatic gain control thing going on because when I stop talking, there seems to be some white noise that comes up in the background, and then it uh, fades when there's uh, content it, sound. Yeah, Zoom has their has all their own kind of weird stuff. Um, I think for the most part it's probably good but yeah they do weird shit sometimes it gets too much where if someone else starts talking the other person gets cut off but for what it is it's 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 good but um you are being recorded you are being (laughs) zoom is now being recorded it's weird though because like i mock it when it comes up but it doesn't record itself saying that so it just records me mocking it so to anyone that can't hear the robot voice saying this meeting is now being recorded they just hear me. That episode begins with me being like, shut the fuck up. And it's like, fuck you, Zoom. Fuck you, Zoom. And it's like, what? Not that anyone cares. I don't know what kind of hubris I have to think that there's a big enough following that anyone gives a shit. But fuck it, Roger. Excuse me. I keep burping. Um, Everybody listening. Charlie Duke back this Thursday. 3 P with my moonwalker oh. friend. Joe Rogan, come at me. Where are your moonwalkers? It's bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> I, it's bullshit. This doesn't. This podcast doesn't have a bigger following. I have great guests. God damn it! I'm not even humble anymore. I have great guests. I have wonderful guests. Excuse me. Speaking as one of your guests, I have to agree. You do have to agree. So. Fantastic, man. When I just see fucking other <laughs> po- when I see other podcasts of just. Like, if they clearly didn't build it, they're in a professional studio, they've got, like, and you can tell there's a whole corporation behind it, and their topics are all just TikTok this, and, and I'm just like, I did an episode with the guy who basically spearheaded autonomous driving back in the early 2000s. That episode's six months old, and it hasn't broken 40 views yet. Like, what do you people want? That's a fantastic interview. God damn it. It was, yeah. My second interview with Charlie Duke hasn't broken 100 views. He walked on the goddamn moon. <laughs> he's the guy talking to Neil Armstrong when he says, that's one large, and he goes, you got a bunch of guys down here turning blue. We're kind of finally breathe again. Yeah. That's his voice. And in First Man, that's his voice. You know what, Roger? In the movie. We get what we fucking deserve. That's what we get. We get what we fucking deserve. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should stop trying to have on these beautiful scientific minds and instead just start talking about Cardi B's asshole. Maybe that's the way to go. Maybe I need to sell my soul to the devil. 
Uh, Every once in a while, you can see it uh, rise to the surface. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I don't know if there's any space on the discount rack there for the the souls. That's yeah, just yeah. Fuck you, Roger. Remember that line in, in Mopey that uh, about Anne Marie is like uh, she was like someone who if the devil was seeking to buy her soul might find it on the deep discount rack ready to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe mine wouldn't be worth anything. Whatever. <laughs> It'll work one day. Or not. Either way. All you can do is what you can do. I didn't expect to still be working for the same company after almost 40 years, but here I am. Yeah. Um, I also think Prime Intellect is going to get it going to get its uh, I think it's going to get its proper recognition one day. I do. Well, I mean, like Philip K. Dick did, uh, did and uh, you know, he 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 lived just long enough to see the uh, dailies for Blade Runner before he died, and now everything he ever wrote has been turned into a movie. Yeah, I think I think Mopey is going to get that, and I've thought that since I first read it. That's why I had you on the podcast initially. Yeah. I think Mopey's going to get what what it deserves. I mean, there are appreciative fans out there, but I know. It's, and I know you know it's going to be something that gets its it's going to fucking blow up and everyone's going to be like, oh it's critically acclaimed and there's going to be two years of episodes of me being like it's my favorite book I'm going to be able to be the the hipster of Mopey when Mopey is bigger than Harry Potter I will there will be video evidence of me saying it's my favorite book go buy it what will I get from that nothing but I will be able to be smug. I'll be a good. I'll be able to go to a hipster coffee shop and be like, I was talking to the author of Mopey years before anyone even listened to it. Mm-hmm. I knew him. I, you know, I, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So there you are. Yeah. And, and I'll probably be dead. So. <laughs> Which will make it even that much better because it's the work always gets better when they can't actually talk to the author, right? Because then you gain this sort of yeah. heroic status instead of. It, and then eventually you'll be eventually you'll be canceled at the height of your posthumous career because a video will surface of a uh, of known white supremacist Tommy Kerrigan and neo Nazi podcaster and Roger Williams laughing as they talk about nuking the planet. And then you'll be canceled, and it will be a brief but spectacular ride. <laughs> right, well, or the other thing is that you know it's like how many people have torpedoed their own. Uh, success by opening their mouth one time too many when you know maybe they just should have let left it so, yeah well yeah. you've been on my podcast and you are now associated with uh an evil white man i don't know at the <laughs> right right wing guy ne- with ne- neo-nazi just like instead there's episodes of you and me like talking stone about cold yeah killers on your podcast yeah and, yeah oh and so uh and uh, what? And so, and you're you're actually going to do the wet sea course? Yes, I uh, am. Uh, yes, I am. The Joe Teddy's course, <laughs> and I'm I'm concerned about dying during it, and I probably will. But I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to go do it. If anything, just to see how much I don't belong in yeah, the I, world. Yeah, I, I didn't listen to the I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I spotted through it because I don't have a lot of time. But I, I did see the point where he was saying talking about the other people who had similar courses and they were like twelve thousand dollars for three days and it's like you know yeah i'm excited what's what's wrong with these people (laughs) i'm I'm excited man it's it's yeah i'm excited to kind of go get my ass kicked 
if anything, just to realize how much that isn't for me. Be like, I belong in the in the podcast room. I understand why. Right. Oh, I said it to Dale in the episode prior to this, and we'll say it again today. It is the 70, 70, 77th anniversary of D-Day, where a bunch of men, 18 and under, unwillingly drafted, had to go rise to the occasion and fight literal Nazis. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not trying, I don't want to be some virtue signaling because I know it has no effect on anything. But, you know, I do want to mention it so it's not lost to time. A bunch of guys that we don't know and we'll never meet did die. And uh, we get to, we, well, you, you and are, I enjoy Some of it. them are still around. I know, very few. The, some the of few. them. Yeah, I know. I've, I've tried to reach out to some and it's very hard to because, I mean, a lot of them are very old. But, um, yeah. I mean, a lot of guys, their lives were cut off at 18. Just then, you know, we don't really think about it, but it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, yeah. I, um, every once in a while. I'd, well, you know, you know who does think about it? The French. Yeah. The, yeah. I saw Very I saw true. the thing the other day where they take like the the sand from the beach and rub it into the uh, the uh, carvings on the headstones mm-hmm. to make it contrast. Mm-hmm. You know, to celebrate D Day to mm-hmm. like highlight their names. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. It, it's and it, you know yeah. they're still doing that seventy years later. Seventy seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's easy to forget. Because, you know, it slowly kind of just becomes this abstract thing in the past. But, uh, oh, man, my MacBook's running out of space. Um, <laughs> but it is important to point it out because we do get to live a beautiful, for all of its faults, we do get to live in a, in a, we live in a free society where you can disagree with the powers and not be beheaded. Mm-hmm. And it sounds simple, but in the course of human history, it's pretty special. So no, that that's definitely a feature. Yeah. It's, that's, you know, it's so, <laughs> so it's not like any of them are listening, but I think it's important to just, to just mention it just so it's not lost in, in history because I'm 30. I've already lived 12 years longer than most of them. And I get to do a podcast for a living, talking to guys like you shooting the shit. And I do think you gotta just, even if it's for two minutes at the end of the podcast, just, slide it in there shout out shout out to all those guys thank you for what you did thank you for allowing roger and i to enjoy the lives we live and uh, let's make sure we pay it forward however Absolutely. that may be obviously you and i don't serve in the military you know i i do it is my plan to put as much money as i can into mental health care but uh let's let's try to keep mm-hmm. moving this world forward just a little bit at a time and when I'm not writing transgressive novels, I build industrial control systems. So there's a little bit of utility there too. So. There is, and it's you know it isn't. It's it's very easy for us to sit around and say America evil, CIA evil, and there's a lot of truth to it. But you know, there are a lot of guys like you and I who just yeah. didn't get to grow old and and find love and experience. They just it just ended on a on a rainy morning. So uh, shout out to those guys yeah. and. Uh, Get fucked, Nazis. Because we won. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. God bless America. Roger, we'll talk next week. My MacBook is running critically low on memory. This is, uh, whoo, this thing's coming. This, this laptop is coming close it's to a, her death. It's a glowing orange yet? <laughs> no, but it's fucking, I'm watching the memory. There's a warning. I've never got this during a podcast before. So, <laughs> this is a first for 469 episodes. Okay. So, uh. Let's Jesus, it's dropping. Roger, we gotta end this. I'll, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Later, buddy. Peace. See ya. Recording stopped.